Good morning, Alan. Uh, good morning, Richard. And how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a wet and cold day today. It's not very nice out at all. But how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Like I'm not not feeling my worst, and definitely feeling somewhat my best. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's a bit cloudy here too. But um, leaving that aside, um, after this, I think I'll feel much better. Um, uh, anyway, you wish to discuss first, or any ideas where we can go? Uh, on this podcast? Yeah, well, last time, Alan, we talked about kind of words and terminology that you found that you found to be difficult. And I think that was really helpful. We talked about things like adjustment and acceptance and those kind of things. It was really interesting to get your thoughts on that. I think today, picking up on that awareness issue, we were, we were going to talk about social interaction and social skills i wondered if you could maybe say a little bit about that today your experience of that possibly earlier in your early in your recovery when you were getting back into social activities and environments and some of the issues associated with that yeah so obviously because because i've got an affected eyesight through the um the the, the car accident that i had um that i found that not not always um, verbal was my most difficult kind of social skills uh, that struggled me. So, like, what I mean by that is, so, like, when people use, like, body language, hand movement, hand gestures, facial expressions and stuff like that, that as, as a social skill, um, I wasn't always able um, and aware of, sort of, like, picking these picking these things up. So in, in several kind of, like, incidences, uh, not all of which were good, um, the message that the person talking to me was trying to send wasn't always received like, in the way in which they were sending it. So um, my my miscommunication or like an opposite answer to what they were looking for was always given. And um, yeah, I found I found that quite tough to not only accept, um, but to be able to kind of like uh, better myself with um, obviously because my eyesight is still the same now so that's it's certainly something I I have to work on kind of every day and to be aware of when people are talking to me certainly like people who I don't know um, as like friends and family are aware of my eyesight problem but it's someone who I meet for the first time in the street for example because they're unaware of my my visual diff- difficulties as well as my brain injury um, they they weren't sort of like soften their social skills to um, make my um, understanding uh, easier. It's such a big issue as well, because as you're talking, I'm thinking about how much of our communication is based around things that we don't say. Um, Typically, or I'd say largely, uh, things that we're looking out for visually. Um, Things like, as you mentioned, about um, hand movements, body movements, facial expressions, all of those kind of things make up our communication. And if you're not able to see a lot of that or you're missing a percentage of that, that's going to have implications for your ability to pick up on what people mean, what they're trying to communicate and what they say. Um, how do you think you, early on in your recovery, Alan, how do you think you coped with that? And were there certain things that you did personally that made things easier? You talked about what other people might have done to help you. What about for you? Were there things that you found helped you in those situations? Um, to be honest with you, I think this was probably one of the biggest 
parts of my recovery that I, I really struggled with and it, it did take me a number of years to kind of like to to get past and, and even still to, to today I wouldn't say I've I've got over it and I'm the best um able person to be able to see all of it and understand all social skills both visually and socially as well as sort of like grammatically hearing words and stuff but um basically what I was what I kind of taught myself to do uh, and was very hard sort of like in my early recoveries because my confidence and self-awareness wasn't at its best but um I just asked people to slow down a little bit and I, I tried telling people um about a little bit about my injury so not the inside and the outside of the injury but just a brief that I've got a visual problem um so if you do use uh non-verbal social skills with me um to 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 make it like really exaggerated so I'm aware and I can notice it just so it gives me like half a chance of being able to understand the conversation to its best potential in how you're sending it to me and I found that that probably had the best response out of everything else that I tried um but it, it definitely was one of the hardest parts of my recovery that I had to make myself fully aware of to make other people aware of my disability would you say that there were certain social environments that you found harder than others or more difficult to manage it? Yes. Thinking about it, I would probably say sort of like going on dates, whether that be a first date or down a pub with the friends uh, kind of thing. Not that I used to, or I used to drink obviously a lot more than what I do now because obviously I've given up drinking like I've explained in my podcast uh, recently to you. But um, in my earlier days, obviously, um, I just turned kind of like 18 in my recovery, so it was quite a new excitement and something else that I wanted to kind of um, explore with, within my kind of early adult ages. So obviously down the pub with friends and family was, was a new thing and something I wanted to explore. But um, I found talking to people in sort of like, um, well, there's a lot of volume, a lot of conversation going around. It was quite loud to hear like yourself, let alone someone else talking to you. Uh, and able to be able to kind of understand and visually see um, non-verbal social skills there quite difficult, obviously, because lighting was low, obviously sound was next to none. Um, that was probably my most difficult time. And certainly on a date, when obviously uh, dates kind of involve quite a lot of non-verbal communication, I, I struggled quite a lot in these kind of circumstances. They're the kinds of environments that are re really overly complicated and it's almost as if the, um, everything there that's going to make it difficult for someone with a sensory impairment is kind of is there, such as the busyness, the, the low levels of lighting, um, alcohol use, um, multiple people kind of talking at the same time. It's almost all combined there in one place, isn't it? So it sounds like that must have been very, very challenging for you. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely very challenging. And again, because I'm one of these kind of like positive people that obviously I couldn't turn the, the volume down at the pub and I couldn't turn the lights up in the pub because obviously it's not my home. It's not my safe environment. But um, and also also not having the confidence in myself to be able to um, fully express my difficulties in that type of environment with alcohol and that being thrown around and drunk. Um, 
obviously people are a bit less inclined to pay attention or to fully understand. Um, yeah, it was definitely kind of one of my hardest environments to be around in my in my earlier days of recovery because I wasn't fully able to express what I was struggling with in these difficult situations. So um, in that respect, I tried to get um, a lot of people kind of outside like in the smoking area and stuff. Not that I, used, not that I smoked, but because it was a little bit less um, busier out there and music obviously was, was not, was not in the background. So it was, it was a bit more easier for me to hear, which is obviously a strong point of mine. I'm thinking back, Alan, to that period of um, your rehabilitation at that time. And I'm thinking that a lot of the time there would have been someone with you during those situations, that it would have been probably very risky for you to have gone out alone. Um, was it helpful to have someone with you? And if, I'm just wondering what it was like if you ever went out without anyone with you, what maybe might have happened or things that had occurred which highlighted some of these difficulties or issues? Um, so, yeah, again, in my in my earlier uh, days of recovery, um, it was um, next to none that I went out with no support worker uh, by my side or at least um, in the same area as me because obviously these these major difficulties that I was struggling with and going through and hadn't learned any of my strategies that I have obviously now. Um, but obviously, sadly, you're like the support worker and the person looking after you can't always recognize everything that you can and can't like recognize for yourself sort of thing. So it was good having someone there as a second pair of eyes and ears, let's say, but even though that they're kind of with you or around you or, not far from you, um, they weren't always able to pick up on every bit of social skill that, that's there, let's say. Yeah, it's almost as if your awareness seemed to be different at that point, early on in your recovery, Alan, but also the people around you wouldn't have, always, wouldn't have always known what support you needed and when you needed it. So it must have been a very difficult time being out in those kind of environments and doing those kind of things. Um, particularly when you're first going back into those, because I think probably your confidence was different at that time as well, that you weren't necessarily feeling so confident about going out and about and meeting new people. But um, how, long did you think, how long do you think it took you to change and improve on those things? How long did that process take for you? I think it was a, it was a good number of years kind of... Um, of being sort of discharged from hospital and rehab, um, that that um, even sort of like a, a shine of kind of improvement was there, and I think that was that was predominantly because of sort of like self esteem, self confidence, um, not being fully aware of my ability or my disabilities, uh, and then also kind of not being able to kind of fully express where it was I needed the help and the support and those second pair of eyes and ears that I referred to. Um, and and to be honest with you, I suppose because because I was in quite a dark place um, and in quite a low 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 self esteem mood, um, it, it's quite hard to kind of talk to people around you about these kind of situations. So it wasn't until I started noticing improvements and things changing for the better when when I spoke to people and I opened up to people that 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 this this obviously this kind of stage of my life start to become a past and then I can admittedly now say it's in the past. Yeah, as we're talking, Alan, I feel that 
often in these podcasts we're we're talking from the with the benefit of hindsight do you know what i mean that your awareness now of some of these issues is very very good um compared to what it would have been those years ago when you were trying to um, get back into these activities and do some of these things but at the time that must have been incredibly difficult do you think that your that with that change in awareness and your ability to understand some of these things do you think that was a kind of very slow progress sort of process of um, adjustment and um, increases in awareness or do you think that happened quite quickly at certain points I'm, I'm I'm just thinking about from the perspective of other people and maybe people listening into this who are earlier stages of their recovery uh, what your experience was of the the pace of that recovery and um, the changes in your awareness. So, like, firstly, I, I kind of I just want to point out, obviously, kind of we're all kind of different, and we've all got kind of like different rates of recovery and ability to sort of like change and accept and stuff like that. And I I just think for me, because I, like, I was seventeen when I had the accident, and by the time I kind of come out of recovery and everything, I just turned eighteen, so it was quite a fresh and a new experience for me. So, like like any eighteen year old person, that excitement of kind of going out, being in sort of like pubs and clubs and like being silly, obviously alcohol, which is is bad for the brain anyway, let alone if you have a brain injury or some neuro disability, uh, doesn't kind of go well together. Um, but I think I think it is a very slow process. But at the same time, I think it, it I think it comes down definitely to the person that you're talk, talking of or the person with the injury, because we've all kind of got like different confidence levels um, with or without a car accident or an injury blah 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 so i think it really depends on how open that person wants to be that and obviously we're talking of the people with the injury here and the people listening uh, about the people with the injury so i think it's it it comes down to a bit of um independence i think i think it really depends on how quick or how slow someone wants to recover and get past these these points so what i mean by that is obviously looking back in hindsight i wish i kind of opened up more I wish I spoke more about what I struggled with and where people could help and what people could do really could to benefit my my time and period in the in the early recovery. Um, but I didn't. So I think it was I don't think it was slow for me, but I don't think it was fast for me. I just think it was more of a natural uh, change for me. If if you see where I'm coming from there, like I could have increased um, the speed of how I recovered and the support that I got and how how in which it benefited me but because I was someone who was I kind of wanted to get through it myself and get past it myself and I wanted to do it for myself I was I was quite resilient in the support that I got only through myself yeah I'm thinking of that whole thing about independence that in rehabilitation we promote independence we we use that word a lot independence but interestingly what you seem to be saying is that had you been a little less independent at that time, that might have helped you more, i.e. a bit more reliant on other people, asking for help, getting feedback, that that would have maybe been more beneficial for you at that time. Yeah, I think it was. Because I think it would have been, sorry. Um, and, I, and I say that again because, like you say, I'm, I'm, I was quite an independent person kind of before my car accident. And in, in most cases, the, the last resort would have been kind of asking for help or asking for assistance or 
guidance, blah, blah, blah. And obviously I wanted to do it myself and experience how I got through it myself, blah, blah, blah. And that that continued kind of through and after after the injury that I had. Um, so even in my early early stages of recovery, even though I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a therapist, I wanted to kind of get through all my difficulties kind of on my own. Um, and, and that was quite a big, big and slow process for me is being able to kind of like accept and give in to sort of like not so much failure, but being able to kind of ask for that bit of support, to be able to ask for that bit of guidance that before my car accident I would have done, uh, but because I hadn't still got the ability to to do this after the accident, um, that I was more inclined to needing that bit of support and, and guidance. And, and that's, that doesn't make me a worse, less or weaker person. That just shows that I'm, I'm not as good as someone else showing me who could do it better or easier in an easier way. And as you're talking there, Alan, I'm thinking about there's an irony in that because I feel that early on in your rehabilitation, there's often quite a lot of resources available. And I work with some people who have um, been reliant on NHS provision, for example. And what you're saying is that maybe early on, when all those resources are available, you may be been you but certainly for you you were less able to use those resources as time went on you became more able to use them and for some people they may not be available anymore because it might be that they were just available for that early stage of your recovery and that changes with how the nhs is organized um makes me wonder whether or not there's a need for more flexibility in that that with things like awareness they don't follow a particular pattern and for some people they'll increase and improve at a different rate to other people, yet the services don't tend to correspond with that. There'll often be a shrinkage of service, services when people need them most, um, which could be very difficult. And I'm thinking about any other social skills we've not talked about today that you're thinking about. Obviously, that the influence of your visual impairment sounded like it was very, very significant. Can you think of other social skills that are important that you feel were affected by your brain injury? Uh, so, yeah, I'd say the, the visual, like I say, the visual skill was certainly a, a mountain to kind of get up and over. And like I say, I still kind of struggle with it today because the eyesight's no better and it's no worse, of course, but it's it's always going to play a part in my in my life. And I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm kind of fully aware of it and obviously that I need to be fully honest with people regarding that kind of like social skill that is not my strong point uh, which I think people find easier to then uh, found it easier to communicate with me because I'm I'm being fully honest with what I can and can't do and the abilities that I have um, and then I would probably say other social skills that I struggle with is um, well definitely text messages and stuff like that because you can't always read into kind of what's being said over a text message or email in that case um but other than that i'm not too sure i i would say i have many other social skills that i i lack in because i'm quite good at talking and some people kind of need to tell me to be quiet because i can talk too much that's an interesting observation because many of the people that i work with and would say that um and certainly their relatives would say that to me that that's one thing that maybe changed after their injury they would be more inclined to give far more information than they would have before, or sometimes not know when to stop. 
And um, I find talking to you, Alan, that you're very good at that now. You're very good at what we call self-monitoring and you understand when you're given maybe slightly too much information and you can pull back from that. Whereas for other people, maybe that's much harder for them to do, particularly as it's kind of happening in that moment. So I think that's a good point. Maybe there's something in there about attention as well, Alan, that actually you're, a bit, you're able then to switch your attention a little bit between what you're saying, um, formulating what you're going to say, and what the other person is doing and what they need, the information that they need. And that's a very high level skill. As you were talking about text messages, and it also got me to thinking about um, forms of social communication that aren't face-to-face -face at all, and they're much more important now in this day and age. Um, I was thinking about someone the other day who was, who'd been using um, emojis inappropriately in their messages. And we don't often think about that. It's a very subtle thing. We just assume that other people are going to share our understanding of what emojis mean. But um, maybe what you're saying there is slightly different. What what aspect of text messaging do you think is, is difficult for you or has been difficult for you? Um, so I think I think kind of like on, on, on this kind of subject, like, for example, um, uh, in my in my kind of I wouldn't say earlier days, but I'd say in the moderate period of my recovery, um, I used to um, I used to bring my support worker in the evening and we would discuss kind of like out of 10, 10 being I'd won the lottery and zero being I'd just sold my house for a lot less than what it was worth. Um, I, I used to kind of give her a sort of a ratio out of 10 and five just being sort of like a bog standard day. Um, and then I'd kind of discuss what I've done, if anything I struggled with, uh, and if anything that I needed kind of like help when, when they were next in with. And then also we discussed if I'd kind of add, remove uh, people on any social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then as, as time went on, um, we then kind of like switched over to sort of like text messaging. And um, obviously it was the same sort of platform. So out of, out of 10, 10 being the lottery and zero being I told my house were a lot less than what it was worth and five being a box of hand a day. Um, I felt that I was more able uh, to be honest with my kind of like emotions, feelings and how I actually felt in that day because there was no sort of like immediate response. And kind of what I mean by that is, is if you're talking to someone on the phone um, and just say, for example, I had a really good day, um, um, the, the response to that would be like, oh, like, I'm so glad for you, Alan. Like, so happy you had a good day, kind of like glad it's all gone well, not much wrong, blah, blah, blah. But then if I had a bad day, like when I express about a bad day, then I'd, I'd get a, um, a negative kind of response back, which would then kind of affect the possibly the next day um, summary then, because if, if I give another negative feedback on the day, the response could be even worse than the response than she gave me the day before sort of thing. So I believe sort of like it affected my honesty with how each day was going, because I was always aware of the response that I was going to get back. So other person's response is critical there, isn't it? Maybe when you're doing that remotely, maybe you're doing that over text or email, you found that a little easier to be honest and direct with people. Um, I was thinking the flip side of that is often quoted as being a reason for why people behave inappropriately on social media. 
isn't it? It's because they've got anonymity or because they don't have to face the consequences of their, the direct consequences of what they've said or done. Whereas for you, what you're saying is that's actually could be a positive thing because you can be more honest and other people can pick up on what it is that you need and what you really, what you're really trying to say. Um, and that can carry over to subsequent communication. So I think that's really important, and it could be one of the real benefits of communicating via text or email, couldn't it, or on social media. Yeah, and just and just quickly, sort of like switching back to your your previous question, which is when you said that some people kind of talk like for too long and don't have the ability to sort of like cut the paragraph down to just a sentence. Um, I think it kind of it co-links with sort of like confidence. And I think. I know that obviously having the ability of being aware of what you're saying and how much you're saying to to therapists, to support workers, to family and friends um, on an, on an earlier base recovery. Um, I think if they're kind of more inclined to talking more and giving you more kind of um, examples and expression of how they feel and what they're going through and stuff like that is is a show of their confidence in you as a person and the support that they're looking to get back from you. Um, I agree it maybe is a, an awareness of you're able to know what you're talking of and about, but I think it, it does shine a little bit of confidence in the in the support that they're wanting from you. Um, regarding sort of like the text messaging from, from voice phone calls, um, I think it's only beneficial in a sense, certainly for me, for example, is I'm quite a caring person. So if I get, if I get like a, a negative response to the response that I'm giving, um, I'm always kind of more inclined to then saying better than how I feel to not receive that kind of negative response back, which I think in looking back in hindsight um, could affect me in long term, uh, would affect me in the long term worse than short term because I'm not being able to give a, an honest um, a feeling of how I am on that day, weeks or months whilst the summary is being written. I think what you're saying, Alan, is actually very common. I speak to a lot of people who tend to say what it is that they think the person wants to hear. And I think for some people that's more likely than for others. But what it does mean is that you end up not saying it, what it is that you want to say, really, or, or maybe what you need to say. And that can be detrimental, can't it? Can you think of ways in which that has been detrimental to you? I mean, you talked about earlier in your recovery when maybe... It slowed things down because you weren't able to get the help, particular help that you needed. Can you think about it more recently? Is, is that, is it, kind of been to the detriment of anything? Do you think? No, I would say sort of like being sort of like fully open and honest and expressing whether it be a short expression or a long expression can can, can only benefit the people around you who are really trying to truly sort of like support you. And kind of what I mean there is nothing rude uh, to any of the therapists. And that if I give like short um expressions and um examples back but what i mean is the 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 more in depth you can be with how good something is or how bad something is 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 kind of it kind of mirror back with the support that you get back so if you if you only tell people what you think they need to hear it's not giving them a true reflection of how you really are feeling very much so. And I think it's one of the things about invisible disability, Alan, that we don't talk about enough. And that's that really, there's, if there's a tendency for people to say um, what they think other people want to hear, then those other people are never really going to know. Are they, they, they can't always put themselves in your position. 
in the way that it would be helpful for them to. So they're going to be quite reliant on what you tell them. It makes it even more important that you're able to be honest with them and be very clear about what it is that, that, that's, that you're experiencing and the things that you need. So I think that's really helpful reflection, Alan. And as ever, um, a really insightful discussion into some of these really quite subtle things that have changed after your injury. So I thank you for your honesty and um, it's good to talk, Alan. No, and likewise with yourself, Richard, it's always uh, good chatting to you and kind of exploring different areas of, of a brain injury and, and what can and can't affect us as, as patients, clients and all that. Uh, just, I just want to kind of like end up on the podcast with you just by saying that like honesty is the best policy. And what I mean by that is being fully honest and open and express yourself, whether the person listening to you does or doesn't like what you say and how you express it. I think, I think to, to gain the most from your recovery, you need to be fully honest with how you feel. If there's any pains and like discomforts within yourself or things you're not quite sure on, because at the end of the day, your recovery is your recovery. Like you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for yourself. But being open and honest will only help your recovery and be more uh, specific to you as a person. I think that's really helpful advice, Alan. And um, I was just thinking that sometimes it's not easy for people to be honest, is it? There may be obstacles or barriers in the way of of being as honest as they'd like to be. And also they might need support with that, and that support may or may not be available, um, which I think is another kind of thing that we need to be aware of as professionals in terms of affording people support to express their views and be as honest as they can. So thank you for that, Alan. It's really helpful, and we'll speak again soon. My pleasure, Richard. Look forward to speaking to you again.